0: Well, I'm excited to be back speaking to you tonight about our children and about raising godly children. I'm going to move kind of here. This will be a little more central to everybody. Our crowd's bleeding this way, so we've got to, you know, stay in the middle here. This will be great. Um, we started this series a couple weeks ago, two Sunday nights ago, and we looked at our children and we, re- we were reminded from God's Word how they are a gift from God. And it's a wonderful blessing, uh, but there's some children are something that God has given to us to steward, right? They're not ours. Ultimately, they are God's, and God gives them to us to be able to raise them and to and to lead them for His glory. What a wonderful opportunity it is, but also a challenging and can be a very scary thing as well. I was really encouraged last week myself, and took lots of notes. In our session last week, because I wasn't teaching, we were hearing from some folks who have uh, been parenting a lot longer than I've been alive, and so it's always helpful to hear from some folks with a little more wisdom and experience, and I think... Do you know, Tom, if we got that recorded last week? Do you happen to know that? I think we did. Maybe we can try to get that up there this week, so in case you missed that last week, you can go back and catch up and hear that, because he talked about discipline and and correction and leading our children right. One of the things, though, I think is really helpful is thinking about correction and then thinking about how we correct. Sometimes we think of correction as a negative thing, but it's really a positive thing as we're leading our children towards where God wants us to be and I had fun standing on the steps up here with my dad as he talked about the illustration, of different timing and all that stuff. And that's just helpful things to think about as a parent. If you weren't here, we'll try to get that up on the website so you can hear that. But tonight, we're moving on our study, our, our title tonight, Help My Child Never Has Enough. Right? Uh, if you have children, they all want more, Right? Today, we got home from church, and Shandy, with the kids' help, had laid out uh, presents for me for Father's Day, and I was very thankful to have them. But before we open it, one of my children walks up and said, All mine. I said, you'd probably look funny wearing those socks or whatever's in those <laughs> presents. But, you know, when, the, when a child sees a present, well, this should be my present, right? Or when they open their presents at Christmas, oh, I hope this doesn't happen in your house. It doesn't happen very often in ours, but every once in a while, you know, opening presents at Christmas or at birthday and they open them. Well, is there anything else? You're like, what are you talking about? We've just spent all this time and all this money doing this. And children struggle with... Discontentment, But they struggle with it because they're sinners, and we as adults struggle with it because, frankly, we're sinners as well. And so I want to encourage us a little bit about this. Frankly, we live in a society where it's never enough, right? We always want more um, we want more money, we want more entertainment, we want more free time, um, I want more bluebell ice cream. you know I just just want more of things. Yeah, we still have some bluebell ice cream in our freezer, by the way, so it's good, leftover for my birthday. But I doubt it'll be leftover very long because I just want more of it. It's good. But we live in this consumer culture, and we we see this around us all the time. We are bombarded with people marketing to our uh, consumeristic mentality, to our our covetousness, if you will, and saying, you need more and here's more. And uh, this is something that is really a struggle. And in fact, Marketers, we know they're even marketing to our children, right? They're trying to get our children. I was reading some things like kids, even as young as age two, can recognize different brands. You know, they're, they're getting brand awareness. Like, I like this particular cereal. I like this particular thing or that particular thing. And it's coming at them. According to a marketing report that I found, kids have a heavy influence on their parents' spending choices in a number of areas. For example, this was the study they did, breakfast choices your child determines 97% of the time what they want to eat for breakfast. It may not be your child, but just children in general. Or lunch choices, 95% of the time influence what their parents spend in this area. Or where to go for casual family meals, right? Oh, do we have to go to Chick-fil-A again, right? Maybe that's your favorite place, but for the little ones, they love it. It's got a, it's got a play place. It has, you know, they like the chicken. They like, to be able to exchange their toy for an ice cream, you know, because it's all about the instant gratification. Who wants a book when you could have an ice cream cone, right? And they, they just want all this stuff and these things. Um, clothing purchases, he said, many of these in, uh, decisions influenced by children. Software purchases and computer purchases, 75, 80% of the time, these are influenced by our children or even family entertainment choices. They found that 98% of the time it was the kids that picked what entertainment they wanted to have. From our children's early ages, we're teaching them many times in our culture that happiness comes from things and that identity is found in brand names or current fads. And yet, this is not a biblical approach. This is where our society is heading. This is where it already is. But how can we instead cultivate contentment, right, in their hearts? That they'll be, have their maybe materialistic desires broken down a bit, and instead they'll seek after what God wants them to have. Well, by way of introduction, I just want to share with you some things when it comes to finances. You say, we're talking about money and kids. Yes, a little bit tonight. And I think there's some myths that sometimes we fall into believing about money that are not true. One of these is something that I think is kind of natural to us as, as Americans is that prosperity is a divine right, right? The American dream, I, I deserve to be prosperous. And yet when we study God's word, there were some people that were wealthy, yes, but some people who were very poor, right? And God used all of these people if they were faithful to him. God doesn't owe us riches, right? Physical riches. God is not a respecter of persons. Wealth is not always a sign of God's pleasure, is it? I mean, we can look around and say, well, there's some really nasty people who have lots of money. Wealth is not always just God blessing somebody. Money is not always a blessing. If you've ever come into a lot of money or had a lot of things, in some ways it's a blessing, but some people would also say it's a curse, wouldn't they? Or another myth that some people believe about money is that it's my money, right? Listen, biblically speaking, James 1.17 says it this way, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So where does our money come from? It comes from God. It's not something that is... Hours or another myth that people believe about money is that well then money's evil right it's just evil you just don't want it and that's close to true but it's not true the Bible says it this way the love of money is the root of all evil so the money itself is not good or bad it's just a tool and it's a tool that comes from God to be used for His glory and if you think about this this is the tool that if you will, our entire society runs off of. So it's a very important tool. It's a very powerful tool. And if we're going to teach our children contentment, then we need to teach them how to use this tool. Right? When I'm working with my boys, I'm teaching them how to use the lawnmower because it's a powerful tool. It's an important tool, and someday they're going to have to mow their own grass, and so right now they're mowing mine, and mine doesn't always look like a golf course because I have small boys mowing my grass, and sometimes I have to go behind and help them and clean up and fix the edges and make it look like I want it to look because they're learning. But I want them to learn right now. It's a good way for them to learn responsibility. It's a good way for them to learn about hard work, and it's good for them to learn how to use the tools now when they're young. And money is the same thing, only it's a tool that they're going to be using for the rest of their life, no matter where they are and what they are doing. So learning contentment isn't about hating money. Rather, it's about learning what matters most. So let's get into our first point there in your notes. Contentment. Let's talk about contentment in modern-day terms. What is contentment? Well, contentment is having enough. The Bible says the 10th commandment. Anybody know what the 10th commandment is? Thou shalt not covet. That's the 10th commandment. When I was uh, speaking to children... On a weekly basis in our church, I was the children's pastor and, and I had a lot of fun preaching to boys and girls every week. And we would teach them the Ten Commandments and we would use our fingers and hand motions to learn it. So, the first commandment, Thou should have no other gods before me. There's one God. The second ma- commandment, Thou should not make unto thee any, any graven image. And, and we would take the number two and we'd make it look like scissors, like we were cutting something out. Thou should not make unto thee any graven image. Or, Commandment number three, Thou should not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And we looked at the three. It kind of looks like a W and it reminds you about your words, right? And so our words need to be pleasing to God. That I not take God's name in vain. And then commandment four was remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This one was kind of... A little bit different, but it worked for me. There's eight words in that commandment, so we would just count them twice. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so we'd remember that. And the fifth commandment was honor thy father and thy mother, which was like taking a pledge. You know, you hold your hand up and take your pledge. I'm going to honor my parents. And then the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. We'd take one finger and pretend it was a gun and shoot this guy over here. We don't kill, okay? And then the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. We had a a man and a woman walking down the aisle to get married, and so that was the seventh commandment. The eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. If you steal, you might go to jail. And so they remember that one. The kids like that one. The ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. You got this guy telling these four guys something about this guy over here. And so they're lying and telling things that are not true. And then the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. This was my personal favorite, gimme, 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 right? Just, I want more, I need more. And this was the, uh, this was the way that we used to teach it. But cont- covetousness, that gives us the next blank there, covetousness always calls for more. Contentment's having enough. Covetousness always calls for more. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So if contentment is having enough, but it says here in 1 Timothy 6.6 6, that if we have godliness and contentment, that is gain. Right? We don't often think of enough and gain as sort of fitting together, right? Gain seems like more and more and not having enough, but the Bible says if we have godliness or godlikeness, we're doing what God wants us to do, and we have contentment, what I have is enough, right? Contentment is a reliance on God and saying, God, what you've given me is enough, because God, you told me that you're going to give me everything that I need. God, you told me you're going to supply my needs. God, you told me that you're never going to forsake me. God, you told me that you are going to provide for me. So it must be enough. Hebrews 13, 5, you have it there in your notes. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So what is enough, right? Well, very basically, we might say it's living below your means, living within your means, right? If God has given it to you, then it must be enough. So I need to live within what God has supplied. And I think that's the right way to look at it. If God's provided for it, then that must be what he wants to give me. And if that's what God has given me, then he wants me to live within what he's given me. That is enough We often, instead, though, in our society, live beyond our means, stretching ourselves to the limit, reaching for something that's not truly necessary for life, that's just another comfort or another thing to entertain us. And we want to help our children to differentiate between needs, wants, and desires. I think those three things, when we're teaching our children about wanting more, are extremely important. Is this really a need? Now, my cousin, when she was really little, she kind of learned this terminology, and so she learned that if she said, well, mommy, I want this, her mom would not listen to her. So she started saying, well, mommy, I need this. And so she all of a sudden needed all the things that before she wanted, and so she was taking those terms and twisting up what they should be used for. But we need to help our children learn what a need is, something that I have to have that is absolutely important for life. That's necessary. Is this a want? Is this just something I kind of want to have? Or is this just some desire to be nice, but I don't really need it at all? You don't need more stuff to be happy. Because if God has given you enough, then it's enough. You only need what God provides. Right? So if God hasn't provided it, then maybe you don't really need it. But see, that's hard for us as adults, isn't it? Well, God hasn't given me this, and I want that. Trust the Lord in what He provides, as Hebrews 135 says, "Be content with such things as you have." So contentment, modern day terms. it's having enough. It's not as covetousness, covetousness does, always calling for more. Secondly, the basic necessities of life. So what is it that we need? Well, 1 Timothy 6, 7, and 8 says, For we brought nothing into this world. Right? Mothers of little babies, they come in with nothing. Right? They, they just cry and have needs. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8, And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. If I've got food, if I've got clothes, I ought to be content. You say, I, but I really think I need a lot more than that. Well, that's not what God has said. So I would look at all of us and say, we're blessed. We're blessed. God's taken care of more than what we need. Now, I think if we're honest, all of us would say, oh, there's more things I'd want to have. I'd really like to have. Sure would be nice if, and fill in the blank, right? But God has said, I've given you everything you need. Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5, labor not to be rich. See, the desire, the purpose, the love of money, right? The love of our life is not just to be rich. That, that's, as a Christian, that should not be our goal. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. So if you put all your energy into making yourself rich, the riches are going to go away. And even if you die, as 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, it's certain you can carry nothing out. You make all the money you want, but when you die, you leave it all here. My pastor used to tell a story about a lady and and she didn't like to buckle the seatbelt in her car. The pastor asked her one time, why don't you buckle up? It's safer. And she said, well, when Jesus comes back, I don't want to go to heaven with a Ford hanging on behind. Well, that's not exactly how it works, right? We can't take anything with us. It all stays here. And so... We need to understand the basic necessities of life. The goal of life and work is not to amass things, but to be able to meet our family's needs and give to others, to fulfill the purpose that God has for us. God tells us to take care of our families. He tells us to minister and serve the people around us, right, as we're serving God. So the goal of life and work, my work, the purpose for earning money, is not just so I can amass more stuff more things, but instead be able to meet my family's needs and give to others. One of the ways we can teach our children contentment is by assuring them that we will care for their needs, right? At a basic level, as parents, we ought to be caring for our children's needs, those basic necessities, and assuring them of that. So what do our children need? The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, But if any, provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So if God's given you a family, you better provide for them. Take care of them. Dads, this is incumbent upon us as leaders in our home. Provide for your family. It's hard. i got to work hard. Well, that goes clear back to the Garden of Eden, right? God told Adam it was going to be by the sweat of his brow because of the sin. But he was going to have to go out and work and toil and earn and provide. So what do our children need? Well, number one, we need shelter, right? That protects them, covers them, we need food, clothing. And I think biblically, we can also say they need education. God has told us to train up our children, right? And then, finally, recreation. The Bible teaches us that we need to know how to rest and enjoy this life that God has given us. I think this is a basic truth that we need to all grasp, though, that your children want you more than they want your stuff. They do. They may be asking you for stuff, and I've seen these even in our own home. When I'm too busy... My priorities get out of line. My kids start asking for more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And you know what changes that? When I go and start spending more time with them and being more intentional and purposeful because really they want you more than they want your stuff. But if they're not getting getting you, they're going to keep pestering you just to get more stuff. That's what I've seen to be very true. Our children need to learn contentment. So how can we do this? Well, next point there. Number three in your notes. Teach the value of diligence. Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. We all have desires and wants and needs and all this. But if we're a lazy person, we're going to be hungry. We're going to be empty. Right? If we're diligent, if we work hard, God will supply the need so we need to teach the children teach our children the value of hard work second thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10 and 12 for even when we were with you this we commanded you that if any would not work neither should he eat in verse 12 now them that are such we command and exhort by our lord jesus christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread we tend to dread work right it's just true about us if we struggle with laziness. We dread work, and then we teach our children to do the same things. Our children follow us. My dad sent me a, a text this morning for Father's Day, and I think it fits very well with this. I want to read it to you. This poem, Dad sent me, says, Walk a little plainer, Daddy said a little child so frail for I am following in your footsteps and I don't want to fail sometimes your steps are plain sometimes they're hard to see so walk a little plainer daddy for you are leading me I know you once walked this way many years ago and what you did along the way I'd really like to know for sometimes when I'm tempted I don't know what to do so Walk a little plainer, Daddy. You know I'm, I'm following you. Someday when I'm grown up, you are like I want to be. Then I will have a little boy who will want to follow me. And I would want to lead him right and help him to be true. So walk a little plainer, Daddy. I'm going to follow you. Our children follow us, don't they? And when they see us struggling in these areas, they tend to have similar struggles work is ordained of god it's it's something god gave us to do and you say well yes i know because of adam and eve's sin god said they were going to have to toil and they were going to sweat and there was labor and pain but did you know god gave them work before the curse before sin if you go in your bible to genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 <coughs> The Bible says, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. God gave Adam a job even before there was sin. God didn't create Adam and Eve and then put them in the perfect garden and just say, relax and don't do anything. No, he put them in there and gave them a job. Right from the start. Work is good. But we don't often believe that. and Our kids definitely don't believe that. Hey, kids, get to mow the yard today. Oh, it's good to work. It's good to work. It gives us purpose. It gives us fulfillment. It's a way that, of course, we earn income and provide for those who have needs in our own family and those around us. Work teaches us things. Work helps us to stay humble and, and rely on God. Work stretches us in our lives. Work is a gift from God. And diligence in our work, you know, faithfulness to our work is the vehicle then to success. Proverbs 22:29 says this, "Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings; he shall not stand before mean men." So, we need to teach the chil- teach our children the value of hard work and understand that diligence is the vehicle to success, right? Work hard. Be diligent. Don't quit. I'm doing this a lot with my boys right now. They're learning about hard work. They're learning that sometimes you think you're too tired and you can't finish the yard, but it has to be done. We were, that was happening Saturday at our house. Boys are mowing the grass, and they're weeding. They've learned how to start the weed eater by themselves. This is all really exciting stuff for me, because I used to do all this by myself just a couple of years ago. But now they're figuring it out and starting to learn how. So mowing the grass is one of the things that they can do. And so they're out there mowing, and guess what? It starts to rain. Well, they wanted to come inside and be done. But they were almost finished with the yard. And I said, you better finish, because it's going to rain for the next five days. And if we don't get the yard done now, it's going to be you know, two feet tall by the time we get done. So we've got to get it finished now and teaching them diligence and the value of hard work. And and so it was kind of a struggle for them and they were kind of having a hard time thinking about it. Oh, we're going to get wet. Of course, you saw them this morning after church. They didn't mind getting wet at all outside. They just thought that was the greatest thing. But when it's coupled with hard work, now it's not as fun, right? But once it was like you could see a switch in their head go off because once they made the decision, okay, we're going to do this, they went right to it and finished mowing grass in the rain, and, and they were just fine. And the yard got mowed, and it looks great. And I can say, boys, great work. They're learning the value of hard work. See, and the response is apparent. When I come home and see that they've finished all that work and it's done, I can praise them. Great job, boys. It looks great. Versus coming home, guys, why didn't you get the half the yard done? You know, And we see the difference when someone's diligent and receives the praise. Diligent is the vehicle to success. Number four in your notes. We want to teach our children to model wise stewardship. We, we need to model wise stewardship before our children. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Model wise stewardship. Well what is wise stewardship? Well it's taking care of the things that God has given us. It's managing the stuff that we have and we do this letter A through giving. Acts 20:35 says, "I have showed you all things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he said, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." I want my children to see me giving. I don't want my children to see me as a stingy person. It doesn't help people. It doesn't give to others, whether it's my finances, my time, my connections, whatever it is. Whatever I have to offer, I want to give it. When your children begin to earn a little money, it's important to explain the principles of giving from God's Word and tithing. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. If God has prospered you, if he's provided for your needs, then set aside so that you can be prepared to give to the Lord. Paul says that there be no gatherings when I come. This is to be a regular part of life, giving Back to the Lord. When we honor God with the first fruits of our increase, He promises to care for our needs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the firstfruits of all thine increase, <coughs> so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God takes care of our needs as we are faithful in giving to him. So we need to model giving. I think another way where we can teach them about good financial stewardship and modeling this is in the area of budgeting, planning, right? If you have no plan, right, you plan to fail, right? It's important to have a plan. A budget is just that. It's a plan. What are we going to do with what God has given to us We need to teach our children to plan with wisdom and purpose, teach them to plan ahead, save for large purchases, teach them to put their financial income and expenses on paper and to target and track their spending along the way. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty four, verse three and four, Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. We have to plan budget and set it aside now this is stuff we say well of course if we're going to be good financial stewards of our own money this is what we need to do how can you teach your children to do that they may only have ten dollars right well let's let's come up with a plan what's this ten dollars for well we want to give some to the lord because we're modeling giving to them right well we want to teach them to save some some percentage so we're saving and we're going to have a plan for the rest well are there some larger purchases you'd like to save towards because it's probably not best that we just run to the candy store and burn it all there, burn it all up you know, very quickly, simply. Of course, now it's tougher because instead of spending their money, they're, they're spending our money because they don't have a credit card. And they're like, well, can I just buy this on Amazon and then I'll pay you back? That's what my boys are already doing. Well, Dad, can we get this? And So this is going back and forth, but it's teaching them to take care of and plan for what to do with their money. This is an area that, It's hard work for me to plan and have have something that I'm doing. But if I'm doing this, I can help my children do this. So giving, budgeting, saving. Letter letter C, Proverbs 21. 20 says, There is treasure to be desire and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man spendeth it up. The Bible says you're foolish if you spend every single thing that you have. A wise man saves One study reported that almost 20% of Americans save nothing. Another 28% only save a tiny fraction of their income. This is from U.S. News and World Report from just a couple years ago. Saving is not a function of income. It's a function of having the ability to live within your means, right? If you want to save more, the, the key is not just to earn more. That's not the first step. It's just to live on less, And as God provides you with more, sure, then you have the opportunity to save more. But many people just get used to living at whatever the max is that they're at, and then they just keep stepping that up and stepping that up and stepping that up. A foolish man, the Bible says, spendeth it up. Another area, though, in our managing or or modeling biblical stewardship, letter D, is this, spending. Spending. You're like, good, I can finally spend my money now. He's been telling me to keep it and save it and budget it and give it away. <laughs> what about taking care of my needs? Spend it. It's a tool, remember? We're using it for a purpose. So how do we spend it? Luke 15:14 says, And when he had spent it all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. This is the story of the prodigal son. When he goes down and he is in this foreign land, he's taken his inheritance from his father, and the Bible says he spent everything that he had, and after he'd spent it, there was a famine. Now the land goes through a difficult time, and he has nothing to fall back on. So he didn't handle his spending well. So here's a couple of patterns to avoid in spending. Impulsive spending. Right? Just see something, and I just buy it right there. I think a good, good principle is... Think about praying about something for 30 days before you buy it. If it's a major purchase, and it's not something that you've planned for, right? You just see it, and you go, oh, I just have to have that. Pray about it. Because sometimes we buy things, those emotional purchasing decisions, and later on we're like, why did I buy this? We talk to my boys about this because they like to have a little money with them, and they see something, oh, Dad, I want to buy that. Okay, let's think about it. How much enjoyment are you going to get out of this? Well, it's going to be a blast. I said, well, how long is it going to last? Their big thing is drones, right? They want to buy another remote controlled drone all the time. They want to buy a cheap drone, and, and we have a quite a history of drones in our house. <laughs> they don't last very long. In fact, we had one drone that lasted about 15 seconds in our house. <laughs> it was a Christmas present. Fortunately, the Particular child didn't purchase it for themselves, but it was purchased by a grandmother, I think, and the boy went outside to try out his drone, turned it on, but didn't have any controls, and the drone just took off, and that's the last we ever saw of it. <laughs> it's gone. It was so sad. His parents we're we, were, we were just having a hard time, like, how do we help him? Because he was very, very brokenhearted about this drone that just flew away. But as a parent, part of you says, well, is the right thing then to just go buy him a new drone? Or is there a lesson to be learned in this? And yeah, it's painful, and you hate to see your kids going through hard things. Now, the good thing was his birthday came around a number of months later, and he just so happened to get the exact same drone for his birthday. But after that several months of time period from Christmas until his birthday, he had learned a really important lesson and it was amazing to see it as he opened the box the second time and his face, he was just rejoicing as it was the exact same little helicopter thing and he takes it out and he's just shepherding that little thing. I mean, he's, he's careful, he's taking care of this and he's not going to lose it. He's got the control. He reads every word of the instructions and he's following, and he's prepared to use it. But see, that's helping your children to learn good stewardship. Now, sometimes those things happen by accident, right? I didn't take the drone and throw it away and make it happen. It wasn't purposeful teaching on my part in that sense. But when your children go through some of those hard financial struggles, you know, they lose their birthday present the moment they open it, there's a time and a place to let them feel that loss and that pain and help them understand how they could have better taken care of it. Spending, impulsive spending. Secondly, compulsive spending. Feeling like you have to spend money every time you're in the store, right? See, I see. Just, I just have to buy it. I just feel compelled to do it. <coughs> Some people struggle with special interest spending. They feel like they have to have the latest toy or grad, gadget or item that's related to their special interest. Oh, the new phone comes out. I just have to have it because I always have the latest phone. Hey, if you can afford it and it's in your budget and... It's not going to hurt your family. It's not wrong to own those things. Right? Please understand. It's not wrong to drive a nice vehicle. It's not wrong to live in a nice home. It's not wrong to do any of these things. But when we're doing it just compulsively or, and just running around and we're causing struggle for our family and causing struggle for those around us and our priorities are out of line, we're modeling really bad behavior for our kids. Special interest spending, number four, Status-seeking spending, right? I'm buying this so other people think I'm something. You've probably heard the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Well, they bought it, so i got to have it. Those kids have those shoes, so I need to buy those shoes. Uh, Those kids have that toy or that game system, so I have to have that game system. I remember as a kid, those were the hardest things for me because the kids would get the new toy at school or whatever, and boy, I just wanted to have it. And now I understand as a parent, sometimes you want to buy that stuff for your kids because you don't like seeing them go without something. And yet one of the things I remind my children from time to time, you are covers, and I'm raising you to be my children and to go and to serve God with your life. Other parents have to raise their kids to do what they're going to do, and they may make different choices. And it doesn't mean that they're making all bad choices, but we are trying to raise you in a certain way. We don't mind our children enjoying a game and some time together and all that stuff, but it's not our choice. We we really don't want to put our kids in front of electronics all day, every day. It's just not what we choose to do. We feel like there's better use of their time than that. We take them to the library and get them books. And we, sure, they, they love to spend a little time looking at the phone or playing a game and those kind of things. And there's time that that happens in, in, in appropriate places. But sometimes it's all about just, well, everybody else is doing it, so I need to do it. Number five there, maintain biblical priorities in the home. This is kind of taking this idea then of teaching our children how to be content with what they have. So we're moving beyond just finances, but just in general. How do we maintain biblical priorities in our home? Well, teaching our children to trust God. Teaching our children to trust God. I think a lot of this, teaching our children to trust God, comes back to God's very simple commands in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2 to children. What are they? Obey your parents and honor your parents. If children learn to obey... And they learn to have respect and honor their parents. They learn how to trust. If you don't trust somebody, it's very hard to obey them, isn't it? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 say, Let your conversation, that's your lifestyle, that's the way you live, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he, this is God, hath said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. See, there's a blessed rest and peace that comes when we trust God and we learn to walk by faith. Because the wonderful thing when we walk by faith and we trust God and we then are teaching our children to walk by faith and trust God, we do this with our children all the time. Well, I want this, I want that. Let's pray about it. See if God would provide that. And you know what? We've seen God provide some of those things for our kids in special ways. And they just learn to trust God more. I'll give you a good example. When our family was getting ready to move down here to Houston, we're from Houston, or I'm from Houston. Shandy and I had lived here for a number of years. We moved up to Indiana to help a church up there for a few years, and we were moving back here to Houston to plant the church. We loaded all of our stuff in the moving truck, and I loaded up my car that I owned at the time on a trailer behind the moving truck, and one of our friends was going to drive the moving truck down, and we were going to all drive down in our Suburban. Well, as we packed everything in the truck, family of seven, we have a lot of stuff, and we got rid of as much stuff as we possibly could. But as we got in the truck and we were filling up the last bits of the truck, we couldn't find space for the bikes, no room for the bicycles. And we did everything we could trying to get it in, but there just wasn't room for the bikes. And I thought, well, we can li- we'll have to leave them. We can get new bikes in Houston. But the boys were very sad. Leaving my bike, that's my bike, you know? I mean, for me, it'd be leaving my car, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's their means of transportation, it's their freedom, <laughs> you know? Their nose in the wind kind of stuff. This, this is important stuff, their bikes. I said, "Well, let's pray about it that God would provide a bike." So we're praying about this. Had my car loaded up in the trailer. We on we packed up everything on a Saturday, and we were going to spend one last Sunday in our church there in Indiana before we left Monday morning to come down. So on Saturday evening, I parked our moving truck with the car on the trailer behind it, there in front of or next to the church, and we stayed the night with the pastor there and his family in their basement. They have a bedroom and bathroom and everything, so we kind of all crammed in there and slept the night. We get up the next day, we come to church, and of course we're saying all the goodbyes, it's always hard. And, and it, this man walks up to me and he says, what are you going to do with that car? And I said, well, I'm towing it to Houston, you know, I, um, I, I can't drive it, we don't have enough drivers. And he said, would you be interested in selling it? And actually, I had been trying to sell it, but couldn't find anybody to buy it, because it was a good little car, and I didn't want to just give it away. He said, well, would you be interested in selling? I said, yes, I actually, I've been trying to sell. He said, how much do you want for it? I gave him the number, and he said, well, does it run well? I said, yeah. How many miles does it have? I told him. He goes, I'll buy it. I said, really? He goes, yeah. Give me, some, give me a few minutes. i got to run home and come back. I'll bring you the cash. Okay. It was a lot of cash. I don't. He must keep a lot of cash at home, <laughs> but anyway. It was kind of fun to roll out of there with that big roll in your pocket and you're like, I better bury this good in the bag so people don't see it. But he bought my car right off the trailers. It's loaded up to go home. And so I come here and so I call the moving company. I said, I don't need this car hauler anymore. Can I exchange it for just a regular trailer? And they said, Yeah. So we took it over there, exchanged it, and guess what? We got bikes loaded in the trailer. God provided. And you know, my I get oh, I got chills. Just think about that. My boys got so excited. God provided. Teach your children to trust the Lord. But they'll never learn to trust the Lord if you don't teach them to pray about things and to ask God for things and let them live in situations. Again, take care of their basic needs. A bike is not one of a child's basic needs. It's important. And I think every child ought to be able to have a bike and that's a great thing. But that's not one of their basic needs and I wasn't not providing for their needs and I absolutely would have purchased them new bikes here in Houston if I needed to. But it was really special that God did that. And it showed our family, our whole family was encouraged by that, that God takes care of needs. And, you know, that was one of those, that's one of those special memories that we have as a family in making that transition to move down here. And, and it was like God telling all of us, I've got you. I'm taking care of you. I'll provide for your needs. And God takes care of that stuff. And I think... If we're honest and we've been walking with the Lord and, and learning how to trust Him, probably all of us could tell stories of how God had provided things like that. Maybe to somebody else, you're like, that's not a big deal. Some kids used bicycles. It was a big deal to our kids because it was their bicycles. And we got to bring them. Teach your children to trust God. Because, see, as verse 6 of Hebrews 13 says, now my children can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Right? See, you don't ever learn to experience what that verse is saying, that God truly is your helper, and you don't have to be afraid what other people do to you until you learn to trust God and rely on Him. And when you see God provide those things in ways that are unexpected and out of the blue you come away and your faith is strengthened but see faith as i talked about this morning is only strengthened when it's stretched right when it's put out there when it's put to the test some of you're nodding you know what i'm talking about you've been in those situations your faith has been stretched has been put to the test but when god has provided what happened you now trust god a whole lot more than you did before but I'm afraid sometimes we're raising children in a generation where we just give them everything they want and everything they need and they never suffer, and I don't mean in a, in a mean way, but they never struggle, they never want for anything, it's just always handed to them, and they never have to learn to trust. And instead, they don't say, well, the Lord is my helper. They just go, well, Mommy is my helper. If I cry loud enough, Mommy will take care of me. But see, folks, we're raising our children to go out beyond ourselves. Mommy and daddy are not always going to be there. And so even from a young age, I want to teach my children to trust in God. You won't find secular financial books that recommend tithing to the church, and yet something, the Bible teaches it, and God blesses those who give faithfully to Him. If you were to give your child a million dollars but not teach them how to trust God, you've really given them nothing. Because you've given them something that their hope is now in this money, and I want to give my children hope in God. One of the greatest dangers of wealth is that we transfer our trust from God to ourselves. Wealth is not bad. If God gives you wealth, thank Him for it, and use it for His glory but it's so easy, and that's why the Bible says this. It's easier for, uh, what is it, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, what? Why? Because a rich man has a tendency to trust in his riches. Because he earned them, he got them, he inherited them, whatever, right? They're his. is how he feels. Wait a minute, it's not ours, it's God's. It's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. Wow. That shrinking that camel down mighty small. It's a little bit of hyperbole there speaking to how hard it is for a wealthy person to learn to trust God because they've just learned to trust in their riches. But here's the thing. When you're raising your kids, see, when I was a kid, I didn't know if we were rich or poor. I thought we were just normal, you know. Looking back and my dad tells, tells me what he made when I was a kid, I found out we were poor. I just didn't know that when we were a kid. When we were kids, because mom and dad took care of what we needed, and I remember thinking, "Why well, we didn't have all those things the other kids had?" And I remember when the Christmas and rollerblades came out, everybody got rollerblades, and I didn't get rollerblades. There were four kids in our family, my parents couldn't afford four pairs of rollerblades that Christmas. But you know, we—I remember one Christmas we got a rope. It was Just a rope. And we loved that rope, and we played with that rope, and we used that rope to do all kinds of stuff. Mom and Dad got it for the purpose of a jump rope, it was a jump rope occasionally. The rest of the time, we used it to tie each other up and, you know, do all kinds of other things (laughs) with that rope. Fortunately, nobody died, nobody was killed, but we had a lot of fun with that rope, and we just didn't know that other kids didn't get ropes for Christmas. (laughs) I think my parents went to the hardware store and bought a big length of heavy-duty rope, and... That was that was a big present that year. I still remember. And when we opened it up, I remember as a kid, it wasn't like, yes, a rope, what I've always wanted. But I remember opening it, kind of going, hmm, what is this, you know? And my dad said, well, this is, you know, this is a rope. And you're like, oh, yeah, thanks, Dad. And I'm pretty little at the time. I don't remember, probably eight, nine years old. And dad's saying, Let's, let me show you all the stuff you can do with this rope. And we had so much fun with that rope. And that rope lived at our house <laughs> Long after I left home, that rope was still in existence. It might, oh, it's still in existence. Okay, Shandy said it still exists. The rope lives on. <laughs> so if you want to see the rope, man, I'll bring him for show and tell and tell you all about the rope. Sounds like a Christmas. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to feel bad when all the children at Arise Babs Church get ropes this next year for Christmas. But... You learn the value of things and you learn that some stuff doesn't matter. But see, what my point is this. Like if it's difficult for a rich man to trust God, even if God has blessed you financially, don't let your kids feel like rich kids in the sense when they're little. Don't, don't beat them up. Don't your you know? see what I'm saying? But take care of their basic needs and then teach them to rely on God. Because someday, even if you're not wealthy, someday your children might be. And that'd be wonderful. I mean, we would hope, as long as they used it right. But if we're teaching them the right principles now, we may not leave them a million dollars, but we teach them how to trust God. And someday, maybe if they make their millions of dollars and they still know how to trust God with it, what a blessing that would be to see that passed down then to the next generation. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says this. Paul is writing to Timothy and he's talking about how to talk to rich people. He says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. Riches are uncertain. They can pass away. But he says, teach them to trust in the living God who giveth us all things to enjoy. Tough times may come in your life. When you trust in God, it will help to teach your children how to do the same thing. We've gone through that over the last couple of years in our families who transitioned down here. We left a church where we had lots of kids. you think we have lots of kids here? We had a whole lot more kids up there and our kids all had friends. And when we moved here, they had no friends. And I remember them praying, God, send us some friends. And Ben and Brenna were good friends from the start, but that was good for our little ones, but especially our older three boys. There's nobody our age, Dad. I said, well, let's pray that God would send us some friends. And God did. He sent the Tanners. And he sent Ashley and her boys. and He sent other people. Gabriel now and be a friend to my older boys. And sent the Hines. And sent Alec. And sent Hunter. And sent... We could go on and on, naming names of people that God has sent that my boys have as friends. And then Carissa, she started, wait a minute, there's all these boys. God was answering her brother's prayers, and so she decided she better start praying for some girls. And God sent Boo and Giza, and God sent uh, Ariel, and God, God started sending these little girls to our church. And what a blessing it was. But my, my children's faith has been strengthened through this, and it helps them to learn when they have a want and they have a need, go to the Lord. Now, I don't want you to get the idea my children are perfect and they have it all figured out. But I'm thankful that they could see their mom and dad have to learn to trust God with some things. And it's helped them to learn how to trust God with some things as well. So teach your children to trust God. And then secondly, finally tonight, let her be there. Teach your children to serve others. If we want our children to be content, they must learn to trust God and to serve others. Serving others takes our attention off of our own wants and desires and places it on the actual needs of others. We can serve in church. So thankful for all the folks that came today. Hey, we're going to volunteer to help at VBS. Great. Praise the Lord. Folks that come out and serve at the park. Folks that are on our cleaning schedule that show up and clean this building so that we can sit in a place that's clean and... Go in the bathroom that's clean and all that stuff. Folks that come and, and, and cook food for different events and things that we put on. Folks that serve in so many ways here at church and let your children be a part of that. Now, today, I knew it was going to be raining, and so I told my boys, Boys, get ready. Maybe raining. I want you to get those umbrellas. Help the ladies in from their car. Serve. You know, for them, it's not a chore, they enjoy it. And when you start them really young, they think service is a great thing because it really is. But if you wait till they're a lot older, serve. Oh, I don't want to do that. Our little ones love to serve. I'm, even when they were really small, I remember Carissa bringing diapers for Caden. You know, helping mommy out at home. You know, serve. Caden today comes up. Daddy, here's my uh, here's my sucker stick. You know, this little sticky, finished off candy stick. And I said. Buddy, why, why don't you just throw it away in the trash? Okay, Daddy. He goes and throws it away. It's fun at this stage, right? But I want to teach him to serve now because I don't want him to just throw it on the floor. You know? If he does, I'm going to tell him, pick it up. Let's go throw it away. Serve at church. Serve at home. Serve at home. Here's another thing that I think is one way, and again, this is just a one idea. Number three, serve on a missions trip. As your children get older, look for a way that you can go someplace else And I'm looking forward to being able to do this kind of stuff through our church. But to serve outside. Some of the greatest times I ever had with our teenagers when I was a youth pastor was on mission trips. Going someplace else. We didn't even have to go that far. You don't have to go to another country to go on a mission trip. You can, one year we did a mission trip at home. And we had had our teens come to the church every week and and we just did different projects. We went to different people's homes and we cut grass and we painted and we cleaned. and Then we did projects around the church and we, we just did different things. We just served. And we had so much fun that week. I've taken teens. We go just to a neighboring state and go serve someplace else. We go to a Christian camp. Our children, we were talking about that this morning. And So one year for the teens during spring break, because teens are always sitting around with nothing to do over spring break, I said, we're going to go on a, on a on a camping trip to Southland Christian Camp. Of course, they have all the cabins. They have air conditioning. They have swimming pools. They have all the fun stuff over there. So we load up. We go over there, but I'd called the camp. I said, would you work out a discount with us to where if we served and did projects for you all morning, then we could enjoy fun time in the afternoon, and would you cut the price? And they said, oh, yeah, we'd be happy to do that. So it was really cool. We were there for like four days, and we paid $30 ahead. All they charged us for was some food because every day we raked leaves, we cleaned this, we painted that, we tore out stuff. We did work for them. And they said, well, this is valuable. And so we got a whole teen retreat really inexpensively, but it was because we went to serve. And the kids came back from that. I remember our teens come back and they said, this was, this was even better than summer camp. I said, yeah, you didn't play games all day. You just worked because <laughs> service is fun. Serving in your community. Serving all around you. It's just a wonderful thing. But teaching our children to serve others. One opportunity, I mentioned it this morning in our meeting for VBS. We have an opportunity. I'm meeting with a, a friend of mine. He's pastoring a small church off of Cross Timbers on the other side of 45. And they're doing a vacation Bible school in a couple weeks. Jacob Mendoza, he's asked if we could help him with just some people to help serve snacks and people to help clean up and people to help keep the kids under control while the teachers are teaching. And I said, sure, we'll bring some folks over to help. So in a couple weeks, if you're able, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, there's going to be a group of folks going over there just to serve and be a blessing to another church. People have been a blessing to us. Also in two weeks, We're having people coming here to serve us. You know, there's a mission team coming to our church to help us. That's great. Here's a whole group of teenagers and adults, 25 or so. They're paying their own money to fly here on a plane, rent their own vehicles, put themselves up in lodging, feed themselves just to help us. Why? Because they just want to serve. But here's what I found in every time I've been serving others. And the Bible says it this way. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Who comes away with the blessing? Well, sure, we get blessed when they serve us. But many times, they're the ones that come away with the greater blessing. But teaching our children to serve.